you can rationalize all those comments and say but most people don't think that and I think I'm okay with it now I think most people don't think that and I think that social media has a terrible place a terribly dark place but when you're in that and you're tired and all that you're doing every day is trying to do the right thing and and just keep going because people are donating and it's for such an amazing thing and then to be picked at from the side quite resolutely for a while it was hard it was hard because we felt was that damaging the business but I am a co-founder and director of a business and I am a credible business woman and I am also the daughter of Captain Sir Tom and I'm also his ears and why is it not okay to be all of those things and I did feel that if I had been the son that it would have been a bit more of a slap on the back good job son oh hasn't he done a marvelous job and he's commercial as well well fantastic mm. but as a woman I think that we are still are able to I was called a shrew I was devious I was making him do it and still now there are posts where I put things out and they'll say oh well, that's just his daughter taking advantage hello and welcome to the women of the future podcast a podcast made in collaboration with the women of the future program a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders as well as support and celebrate the successes of women I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Hannah Ingram Moore is the owner and director of recruitment, brand development and business training company Matrix. You'll probably know her better from seeing her appear alongside her father, Captain Sir Tom Moore, who raised millions of pounds for charity in the run-up to his 100th birthday in April 2020. Having previously held project operations and strategy management roles at the likes of Mulberry, Gap, Swatch, Fortnum & Mason, Liberty and Whittards of Chelsea, part of Hannah's day job now also includes maintaining Captain Sir Tom Moore's legacy as a part of his foundation. Carrying on the journey that started with a few steps in the family garden, alongside her father, Hannah and her family identified causes close to their hearts to benefit from the charity, including loneliness, those facing bereavement, championing education and equality, and supporting friends overseas. Tomorrow will be a good day. I think I can honestly describe my childhood as pretty magical. I grew up in sort of southeast London, sort of North Kent border, and I don't think I recognise as a, a really young child that I had an older father. My father was in his fifties when I was born. I think it was only as I got a bit older that people would say, "Oh, is that your granddad?" But it never perturbed me. I was never bothered by it. And I think my sister's two years older, so we did a lot of you know playing together. We lived in a semi-detached house on a street with lots of other houses and so grew up playing with all of our friends from you know our neighbors and then we were able to walk to school which was great in the 70s it was still a fairly gritty area so I think we became very streetwise very early on in life I think growing up where I grew up is not dissimilar to how it can be 
these days but we were very well schooled in it we knew to avoid people or cross the road but so it never felt scary um, I think it was a very typical environment and we live very close to to Dover relatively and we would on a monthly basis go over to the Hypermarché in Calais and because both my father had this sense of adventure and my mother loved to try new things and would never have done it by herself but with the courage that he gave her and we would my sister and I would choose whether we would go on the hovercraft or which doesn't exist anymore or the ferry because no train then and we'd go and go on these adventures to the huge cheaper mache that didn't exist in this country then and come back laden with wine and olives and olive oil and chili and and my mother was a real experimenter and things so we we grew up in that kind of slightly spicy world that was probably quite unusual though we didn't think so of course she was quite a timid person my mother and I think there was no question her confidence was from him and he treated her like a princess but they had a lovely relationship he'd fall asleep so she when he fell asleep she would untie the laces on his shoes and tie them up together and undo his buttons and button them all up the wrong way and all sorts and then <laughs> I just remember just laughter genuinely just laughter and my father was working in Greenwich so every day he'd leave and go to Greenwich and um, she stayed at home and he said look once she'd had children she never had any intention to go back to work she was an office manager and very good at it but she just wanted to devote herself to bringing up her girls and she was I think 35 I think by the time I was born so again then an older mother too so I think our childhood we were, we felt invested in and loved I think we didn't have a lot but it didn't matter you know it was all about the environment that we grew up in we moved and we moved from there to Cambridgeshire for the, the sort of second half of my growing up life and then I think having grown up with that sense of adventure, which we definitely did, we used to drive into Spain and France and Italy in the summer holidays, you know, pack everything up in our old maxi, Leyland maxi car, and just about squeeze ourselves in with my aunt, who was my father's sister, and travel for the school holidays and camp through Europe. So I think when you inject that into a child, of course, you're either going to get one that goes, no, thank you, I don't like the adventure, or one that goes, the whole world's there to explore. And for me, the minute I could leave and do my own thing, I, I did. And I think that sense of capability, always lots of sticky spots we got ourselves into and, and actually always got ourselves out of it. The sense of appreciation for other cultures and other languages and just making friends with, being able to talk to anyone because we'd rock up to campsites, really badly put up our tent and have suddenly neighbours. And I made, they made such an impression on me. I can remember them now. You know, I remember Dino and Carla in the campsite. I would have been eight. And they showed me how to make Italian food on a campsite in Italy somewhere. I don't even know where it was. And so I felt inspired by, I felt like the world was mine. Mm. Um, and, and that's, I suppose that was my, that's how I, that's how I went to my next stage in my life. It sounds like such a rich and vibrant upbringing and you speak of it so fondly of your mother and your father and your and your sister does it feel like that now I mean obviously when you're in the moment when you're a child and you're living in it you don't necessarily recognize those things but I guess in hindsight now you can see everything that you had like you say you didn't necessarily have a lot of money but you were very rich in other ways 
Yeah, and I think that I think as a child, I I was a happy, confident child in most things. So I think I just felt loved and safe, and and I loved the jumping in cars and never quite knowing what we were going to find. I loved the sense of adventure. And I think as you get older, you look back in, but you don't recognize as a child, do you, that those things are becoming the foundations of your life mm. um, or that they'll make you what you become. Um, they yeah, just feel absolutely. like activity, not necessarily the building blocks, but of course they are. So when it comes to a vocation, you spoke that your mother was an office manager and you yourself have done kind of project operations and strategy management you think that that maybe your mother's role inspired you or was it did it come from somewhere else what were you what were you like academically were those your interests yeah I think that um, from my mother's perspective she was a really intelligent woman and could have done great things but just didn't desire to she wanted to be a mother and she wanted to invest all her time bringing us up and in all honesty I think that that didn't give me a role model um I didn't have that as a role model I mean I had a role model but it didn't give me the role model to go out and aspire to do great things myself because I obviously only knew her in her role as my mother she'd mm. stopped working so I think although I I never thought why aren't you working because you know there were definitely my friend's mothers who were it was just okay totally accepted and I think what I saw was my father working like a Trojan and also constantly pushing himself and her supporting him to do that. And I would say that academically, I enjoyed being at school. I, in fact, I loved school. And I'd say that the, the biggest thing that happened to me after I'd come through the education system is I came out the other side and then thought, oh, no one ever told me that the world's not equal. Mm. Um, I'd never no one had ever said to me you're a girl things will be not so quite so good or easy for you because you know we were given pieces of wood with nails and hammers for Christmas and taught how to we were also given other lots of lovely pretty things too but we were you know by the time I was 10 I could change oil in a car blow torch spark plugs I could change the carburetor clean out the carburetor in the car wire a plug wallpaper room so by the time I was uh, in my late teens you know I was able to go into a house and make curtains put the wallpaper up do some of the wiring and sort my car out and um, that didn't feel that felt just normal to me and it was only when I hit the corporate world that I realized that as a woman I was disadvantaged by by my gender and it came as a real shock to me because no one they all forgot to tell me. And, and that's a little bit how I felt. Yeah, I think I had a, a similar experience. I remember graduating from university and thinking, right, right, we can go now. Let's, we're ready. I'm, I'm ready. Let's do this. And then not really knowing or recognizing that there might be some barriers in the way. And like you say, because you, you're not brought up with those things in your head as things to stop you from progressing or to achieving what you want to do. But is there a standout moment or person in particular that you would say has helped mold your interests and set you off on this path to where you want now and what you're doing now? I would say both of them in their own ways. My mother was so kind. She was just the kindest person. She lacked 
confidence in herself but she was the kindest kindest person and I think that that envelops you right so what it gave me and I and also let's just put in there I recognized I think fairly on that she could sometimes be a bit odd so as a young child she would say to me Hannah run run there's that man's following us and um but I never felt fear so I'd look back and I remember this is I would have been about four and I remember looking back and thinking I can't see anyone but she'd bundled me in the car and off we would go Mm. um and she I remember thinking she's fearful but I wasn't I didn't carry that fear or anxiety because I think probably in my young brain, I didn't sense fear. And what that meant was that we only recognized much later that she had a degenerative brain disorder that was already beginning to pick at her while she was in her 30s. And so it was only later that we discovered that it was um, eating her up much, much more quickly as she got into her 60s. So I think that when I look at what's founded me, that supreme kindness, but with um, empathy, because I could see in some situations, even as a young child, that things made her very anxious, mm. um, that, that things upset her. And so as a young child, I tried to comfort her. And I think what that meant is that you build empathy, that not everyone is strong and people need help and they need to be supported. And then you had my father who also very kind, but very disciplined in his modus operandi and um, very forthright and very much about making the best that he could out of any situation that he was in. And that, I think, along with the warm spirited sense of fun, formulated me that I felt that no matter the barrier put in front of me, of which I realized once I'd left and entered sort of the corporate world if you like even pre-corporate that there was a barrier to me because of my gender that it didn't stop me though I never wept about it I thought you know men on the way behave very badly through my whole career and I never felt I was responsible for their bad behavior but there was no one to talk about it you know there wasn't an open door not like there is now I think what we must do as women is open the door to the younger women to say it's okay you can talk about this and actually it's not acceptable but in my world it didn't get talked about there was no place to put that apart from just keep pushing through and so I always felt that I had more hoops to jump through that I was quite possibly being paid less and that the only way that I could keep going was by forging ahead and I think that's just how I have coped with it because I've Mm. got my path and I'm, I'm on my way but I have huge empathy for people for me that investing in people around you is everything I think that if you want to get the best out of any situation you need to invest in those who you are around and gender diversity training is one of the important things that your company focuses on and trains other businesses in is that right that it's kind yes. of part so of what real, you do now a yeah. real passion for me is that as I say, it came later when I recognized it. And it's only been relatively recently that we've accepted it from a business perspective, that this is a real problem. It's society's problem. And so a huge part of what we do is talk to businesses about the relevance of gender, equality, diversity, inclusion. But most importantly, from a business perspective, let's be really clear that if you represent in your company from from c-suite from board level through your business if you represent your customer base you will drive greater profitability it's fact 
So why wouldn't you? You know, this is not about being woolly or fluffy or making way because you feel you have to. There's a strong business case for it. And once you've established that, then there is the, and as I watched this great um, webinar the other day, and it talked about giving men a voice. So there are lots of good men. Give them the voice to say to another man, that behavior is unacceptable. We talk a lot about how women have to cope with it. But there are men who don't feel empowered to say to their fellow men, maybe it's their boss who's behaving badly. And we need to give them confidence to say, that's unacceptable. You cannot treat my female colleague like that. And I think that this is about changing society and pointing out that this behavior is not right because women can be equally as sexist. It's not right from women. It's not right from men. We shouldn't be throwing away comments like men can't multitask. We shouldn't be throwing away, oh, that's a pink job. We shouldn't be accepting intolerable behavior because it's not right for a start. But secondly, it's not good for business either. And it's not good for our souls. So we spend a lot of time investing and trying to change culture because this is about the culture that's allowed to exist within businesses. And often, until you say to people, did you know the impact of your statement or your comment? Have you thought about mm -hmm. that? They don't know. And we have to talk about it. So alongside your work with brand development, training, recruitment with your business matrix, you also now run the Captain Sir Tom Foundation. So if one job wasn't busy and enough for you on a day-to-day -day basis, you now have the rather remarkable feat of this foundation. Can you talk to me a little bit more about what the foundation is? And obviously, I think we're all fairly familiar with the story of your dad now, but it would be good just to hear a little bit more about how it all came about. Of course. And so, yes, we have a, a busy life. My husband and I set up Matrix nearly 13 years ago. And anyone who works for themselves knows that you never really have a day off again, ever. But that's OK. We made that choice and we are both so so happy with the choices that we made but so proud of our people within matrix and and the work that we've done so notwithstanding all of that on that second week of lockdown where we were genuinely concerned about the future of the business my father who was rehabilitating i think as many people will know from a from a fall came out with his straw hat on and my husband said oh keep on walking tom we'll give you a pound a lap get to 100 before your 100th birthday and i said oh do you know what we should do we should give the money to to charity and why don't we support the nhs because they're going through such a terrible time and covid appeal and everyone went oh yeah that's a really good idea so let's see if we can raise a thousand pounds and we went oh stiff target like that could be tricky because it's covid right so people are in despair they have no idea what the future holds so i said well let's stick up a just giving page and everyone in the family went, what's a just giving page? <laughs> like, where have you all been? Um, so we set up the just giving page and put a little press release out to local media, honestly believing, genuinely, because the press release just said, hey, it's a 99-year-old man. This is his past. He's a World War II veteran. He's lived with his family. He's going to walk 100 laps of his garden. That was it. You're not talking about anything fancy. It was less of a press release and more of a couple of paragraphs to local media going, hey, are you interested in looking at this story? Simply because we thought that might help raise the thousand pounds. 
um, we did pick up a couple of radio interviews pretty quickly. And then, so on the Monday, we sent out the press release and set up the Just Giving page. By the Wednesday, we were being interviewed by local TV. And by the Friday, we were on national news. Wow. And within just under two weeks, we'd had 1.5 million emails and we were doing 30 interviews a day around the world. And um, so we raised 38.9 million pounds in three and a half weeks and had done at that point sort of nearly 400 interviews in just shy of four weeks. And people from 163 countries donated um, to that original fundraising. So anyone who's good at their geography knows that that means only 32 didn't. And that is extraordinary in itself. We've received over 200,000 birthday cards and over 200,000 letters, 8,000 presents. And we're probably at post 6 million emails by now in seven months. Uh, We don't count them anymore. And so what we quickly realized as we hit 12 million pounds in two weeks from the original, uh, as we set off originally, we realized that it was incumbent upon us to create legacy that the world was watching and the world was watching for a reason the world was watching because my father became a beacon of hope around the world that people were invested in his positivity that the nhs is revered around the world and so if you think that 162 of those countries will never get the benefit of the nhs and yet they were prepared to send donations 1.5 nearly 1.6 million people donated which is huge and they donated to support our NHS and the COVID appeal, but they supported for hope and for positivity. And the fact that he was turning 100 and had 100 years of life experience to share. You know, as he was born, we were coming out of Spanish flu. He didn't know in the first 15 years of his life that he'd become, he'd be sent halfway around the world to fight for his country. And those rich experiences, they create you, don't they? And so what he was pushing out was this hope and positivity and a trusted voice. And I was his ears because he's profoundly deaf. And so as we went around the world, suddenly people then became interested in the family. And then the kids were, of course, at home because schools were shut. So they'd quite often come in or they'd be taking their, you know, Benji's nearly 17, George's 12. They would pick up their own interviews because our media schedule is such that I had to say to Benji one day, you need to take this interview. And he's like, no, it's all right, mum. I'm like, no, 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 you need to take Mm. this interview because I've booked three. I didn't mean to, but I am booked for three. Georgia took interviews with Sky and suddenly life turned upside down on the 16th of April I think that was a moment in time where our life stopped being what it was before but we took that responsibility firmly on our shoulders we saw that we had this responsibility to use this platform for something powerfully good and that was creating legacy and legacy for us was creating the Captain Tom Foundation and then we had to sit and it's okay one thing saying it right we're still doing 20 interviews a day at this point and doing something about it so we just didn't sleep or eat for weeks really and um although I've more than made up for it now but (laughs) but um we uh, set up the foundation put trustees on the board registered for a charity number got the bank account set up and then said oh my god we need branding we need vision who are we and so we, we said our, our vision is for a more hopeful world, that that's what my father gave people. He gave people hope, a genuine, real hope, because he'd seen it before. So he could tell them it's going to be OK. 
Mm. And then our mission is to inspire hope where it's needed most. And then our causes that we support are loneliness because my mother did eventually go into a care home and my father visited her every day that she was there for six years. And she would often say to him, uh, if you didn't come, I just feel so lonely in her more lucid moments, right? Because a lot of the time she wasn't. And a lot of the other residents never were never visited by anyone. No one was there to love them or look after them. And a lot of the people who did visit people there went home to a house by themselves. Mm. So we understand loneliness and the terribly negative things it can do to people, the impact it has on your mental health. We also sit around the table for bereavement. You know, I lost my mother. I wasn't a young woman, but I was a, I was a young, you know, I, I was not an old woman either. I still needed her. You know, I hadn't had my children. I was still, um, well, I think Benji was born. I think he was nearly three when she died, but she didn't know, not really. She couldn't, I couldn't go to her and say, how does this work? How do I do that with him? What happened? Cause he did this. I lost her. Mm. And so we understand what bereavement is and, you know, we needed her. My sister and I needed her and she was gone from us. So we know that we can talk to people about what that means and the powerfully negative things that can do to people too, if you don't talk about it. And then education and equality, of course, you know that those things can't leave me because equality for me and my father is a passionate believer in women. He says that his mother was the first driver in their local area and she was better than all the men. Um, <laughs> and he, he believes that we absolutely have the right to be seen equal. We are equal, but the, you need men like him to say we are because the men have to change too. It's great giving the women the authority and the passion and the confidence, but we, we need the men to come with us. And he's just an, a, an absolute believer in women. He's a massive supporter and has always said that women are brilliant and equal. And so those causes sit so resolutely with us. But in all honesty, I never thought I would be at the heart of a foundation. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a giver. I believe in, in charity, but I never thought I'd be at the heart of one. If you'd asked me seven months ago, I'd have laughed at you. Mm. And I think that where we are now, I'm not a trustee. I consider myself to be in a position that I take very keenly, that I've become the voice of the foundation because my father has channeled through me to talk about what we are. And I think that's just a, it's a massive weight of responsibility, but it's also a joy. And I think the world watching us and all that comes with that, with the pressure of international press, with the pressure of privacy diminishing, with the pressure of the relentless pursuit and desire for information, that it hasn't always been easy. Mm. But what we, what we feel very passionate about is using this voice for the good of humanity. And that sounds crazy, right? That I would sit here and say that, and I would have laughed at myself and thought I was being ridiculous and thinking far too much of myself if you'd have asked me that a few months ago. And now I believe it, not because, um, because I'm brilliant, not because we are sensational. We're just ordinary, just ordinary family of people who have been at the center of something extraordinary. And simply saying, we'll do our best to use this platform 
for the better of everybody. And I applaud you for it. And I think as a nation, we are so grateful. But I know you were talking about being tenacious, really. And I know that you have faced some criticism, even from just walking down the street where people come up to you and be like, do you realise what you've done in a very negative way? negative way and I think like you were saying when you're working so hard and your motivations are so honest and hopeful and you're wanting to do good how does that sit with you is that quite a bitter pill to swallow or are you now accepting it as part of everything that you're doing and unfortunately that comes with the territory even though it shouldn't yeah I think we're still on that journey right I think there was a really difficult time where I was being picked at quite significantly for wearing my matrix shirt on an interview and it felt so unjust because I was simply running to help my father to hear I still had a business to run I wasn't trying to make anything out of it but you know then somehow we were we were too perfect and we got picked up for me being media trained I've never been media trained I've done presentations like lots of other people in business I've never been media trained but somehow that was wrong that we were seemingly doing a good job I mean we were just doing it I mean there were no sides to it and suddenly to be picked apart for the fact that actually I was trying to earn money out of it I'd taken 16 million that I owned just giving it's owned by a hedge fund in America and so you can rationalize all those comments and say but most people don't think that and I think I'm okay with it now I think most people don't think that and I think that social media has a terrible place a terribly dark place but when you're in that and you're tired and all that you're doing every day is trying to do the right thing and and just keep going because people are donating and it's for such an amazing thing and then to be picked at from the side quite resolutely for a while it was hard it was hard because we felt was that damaging the business but I am a co-founder and director of a business and I am a credible business woman and I am also the daughter of Captain Sir Tom and I'm also his ears and why is it not okay to be all of those things and I did feel that if I had been the son that it would have been a bit more of a slap on the back good job son oh hasn't he done a marvelous job and he's commercial as well well fantastic mm. but as a woman I think that we are still are able to I was called a shrew I was devious I was making him do it and still now there are posts where I put things out and they'll say oh well, that's just his daughter taking advantage and we've been on I and maybe not we I I mean the whole family's been on this journey but I had to change inside I had to become more resolute and more determined and also I needed to be able to look out and say okay I didn't mean to do it you're right for all the people who asked me do I know what I've done? Like I do know, I do know, but I don't feel that's something to be ashamed of. And I do know that it's changed our lives forever. I, if I hadn't sent out the press release and I hadn't put up the Just Giving page, you're right, none of it would have happened and the world would be a greyer place for it. So yes, I know what I've done and um, I'm okay with it. And I am who I am as a business person and I am also Captain Sesson's daughter and my, I'm also proud of being a, um, a, a wife and a mother too. So if you don't like that about me, it's okay. I've come to terms with it. And so I'm 
really okay. Now there are people who do come up to me in the street and shout at me. And do you know what I think? I think it comes from a really good place. I think that they're doing it because they feel that somehow I've put my father in harm's way. And so the shouting at me is actually love for him. So it's hard because sometimes the children are there, but it's a good life lesson for them too, isn't it? I don't shout back at her or it's, yeah, it's mostly hers. I don't shout back. I thank them for their comments and I move on because um, in fact, John Maguire from the BBC, who has got to know the family really well. I think he came on a day when I think I'd had a bit of a pounding and I said, but it's okay. Cause I think John only 3% of people don't like it. And, um, he went, are you crazy? Not even, no, like 0.3%. Just get it in perspective, right? And it was really good because it made me think, yeah, it's just, it feels like, it sometimes feels like everybody, but I knew it was never everyone because the overwhelming love, you know, as we'd walk down the street, people have bibbed their cars and still to now people come up to me all the time. And 99.99% of people are brimming with love, generosity, admiration, positivity, and joy. So the naysayers are the naysayers, and they'll always be there. Maybe we just need them to keep us leveled. Hmm. Right, I have some quick fire questions just to finish. So, first off, what would you describe as your greatest success? Well, I think that I think before this last seven months, um, I would have come up with some. I mean, the first major success has to be the business, but the greatest of all greatest successes has to be the thirty-eight point nine million pounds being part of that in three and a half weeks. And your greatest failure? Oh, there have been many over the years, and I think failing is really genuinely part of part of success. And I think that going back to work, having had my first child, that I failed to represent myself well, that if I could go back and say to myself, don't go back on your back foot, go in telling them what you can do and not what you can't do. And I think I failed myself then, but I've learned some big life lessons and a lot of my successes are based on that failure. The mantra of Women of the Future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? Everything. Kindness and collaboration are in my blood. They're in my DNA. I don't think life, you can get the best out of life without them. I think that kindness ripples through our family. We are kind. I believe in it. I think that I have kindness in my soul and I can't imagine looking at life through a negative lens. I just, I look at people and I see empathy with them. I see collaboration with them. I think we're richer for it. And for me, I think if you cut me through, you'd see collaboration and kindness printed. Is there anything that scares you? Do you know, people ask my father this a lot and he says no. And I think, how can you say no? Of course, something scares you but maybe I'm more like him than I think <laughs> because I actually don't feel afraid of anything. And that sounds really arrogant, doesn't it? Um, spiders? Snakes. I don't like them. I don't like big spiders. And we have some hoofing big spiders here. <laughs> we've, got, we've got water and land and I don't like them, but I don't think I'm afraid of them. Uh, would I be afraid? I'd be afraid 
I think I'd be afraid if I was in the Australian outback, some of those spiders. That might freak me out, oh, I yes. think. Yep. Um, I think I'm not afraid of life, right? I, I'm, I'm okay. Throw at me what you will and I feel that it's okay. No, I'm, I'm afraid that, um, I think if you let yourself go crazy, I'd be afraid that my kids won't be safe. I'd be afraid that everyone knows where we live, so that might be a bit of a crazy thing to think about. But I don't think about those things, really. I think that life is there for the taking and crack on and try not to be afraid. What's left on your to-do list? Oh, so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I've only just started. Um, <laughs> I think I have so much more traveling I want to do, but things that I feel so passionate about investing in women and you know I have a son and a daughter and I feel it's important for both of them to try and make the world more equal it's upon us all to do it I am working on some roles that are ambassador roles representing women I hope that I do a really good job at that if they come my way I'm going to try and do a really good job of the, a good job of them um, and I think if I have a passion for what I'd like to think has come out of this incredible last few months it's by being able to represent us and try and, and create collaborative change thank you so much hannah i think oh, well i don't know where i would have been this year if it weren't for you and your family so a little bit emotional actually so <laughs> everyone it, it, the thing is it's okay to be emotional isn't it because it taps yeah. into our souls well you're talking about hope I think it's because we know we all know what we've been through and what we've gone through both you know quite introvertedly and extrovertedly and you and your family have been such a beacon for this country but also the world and that like you were saying there was only a handful of countries that didn't donate so it means something to so many people so and also thank you for taking the time because I know you're ridiculously busy <laughs> no, it's my it's my absolute pleasure and I think that it is emotional people stop me in the street all the time and cry I never thought I'd have that um impact <laughs> what do but you actually, do like oh tissue or... <laughs> well we all cry together because the thing oh. is genuinely I, I don't cry because I can't I'm on I'm on the television or on the radio and there's mm. no time I can't I have no time to <laughs> been crying mm. but of course when other people cry it provokes emotion mm. because this is real people and all we are is ordinary people just like everybody else and all we managed to get was a voice and that voice represents all of us mm. and so of course it's hard lockdown's really hard and life under covid is really hard it affects everything yeah. But when we know that we are collaborating and we're in it together, and, and if we, my goodness, if we as a family think we can just make one person happier, everything's been worth it. And we're just human beings, aren't we? We just need to feel like we've got each other. And we're all in it together, genuinely. So we feel just so humble, genuinely, genuinely humble at being given this voice that all we ever want to do is not let anyone down well thank you from the bottom of my heart thank you lovely to talk to you thank you for listening to this week's episode of the woman of the future podcast if you enjoyed it please hit the subscribe button and while you're there why not give us a rating and review you know you want to for more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.